Coming up this week on the Smitty and Mitty Show podcast, we're joined by Blue Jays writer Mike Wilner to recap the 2021 season, and the NHL season is officially underway. You're listening to the Smitty and Mitty Show. And now... Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? Start your engines! 90% of the time, I have no idea what I'm talking about. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. The show that's got everyone saying... You're so dumb, for real. With Smitty. What you just said is one of the most idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. And Smitty. I've been in this business 15 years. What's your name? you. That's my name. This is the Smitty Mini Show. The TM... TR, fuck me. It's also the podcast, so... Keep that. The TS. The TSMS podcast. The Smitty Mini Show. Noah Smith. Tyler Middleton. Let's just start it off. Let's start it off right away. Actually, let's thank our sponsors. Dave Meltzer, Sonic say, Financial, yeah, Life's yeah. Brighter, Out of the Sun, Gold Line Curling, The Choice of Champions. Those two people, thank you very much for uh, for all your support and ongoing support. Um, the Ontario Tanker happening in Port Elgin, Ontario. Uh, that is in February 2022, if I remember correctly. Get your tickets. Get your tickets online. But one of us is a new uncle. That is true. And it's not you. It's not me. Congratulations, hope, my friend. We hope. Cross your fingers, Jack. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I don't think Jack swings that way, but either way, <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you. I haven't got the chance to see the little guy yet, but uh, how is uh, everything? Everything, everything's healthy. I know. Uh, yeah, I, I know how it all went down. So is everything? Everyone's healthy. Everyone's happy so far. Yeah, everyone seems happy. The little guy came out a little bit smaller than they expected, but uh, I don't know. Apparently, that happens sometimes. So. Whatever. Whatever. Yeah. Doctor said bigger, they were gonna be like eight. Doctor said he was gonna be like eight or nine pounds. Definitely wasn't when it came out. Six I'm point not, something. Yeah, I'm not an expert on like that little shape game that kids play, but I'm pretty sure you would rather a smaller shape fit through one of those holes than a mm. larger shape mm-hmm. tends not to jam through. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you get my metaphor? Easier. Definitely easier. Okay. I don't know. I've never done it. I just, I, uh, I've I've never, seen it up close, and I would I would assume you would much prefer something smaller. I was gonna say you've seen it, so you would know smaller shape better. Yeah. Oh, you didn't you didn't go watch? No, I was I was good. Although I made the comment that they should <laughs> live stream it, and everyone gave me a weird look. I didn't want to see that part. I wanted to see my brother in law's reaction. Everyone took it the wrong way. Well, you just want you wanted the zoom in lens. <sighs> Disgusting. Uh, Smitty Mitty show. Let's get into uh, some non-birth topics because this isn't the birth show. Well, should we make sure that people know that uh, you can check out our Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, Smitty Mitty Show. Uh, Smitty Mitty Show also on YouTube. Check us out. Follow us there. Uh, haven't had, I don't think, new episodes go up there <sighs> nope. very often. It's, it's been, been so busy, man. It's been busy like, for everyone. I looked at my schedule and Ontario is so down in officials that I am just, I am running around trying like refing a whole bunch and you are busy with hockey and we got this, which I mean, we love doing it. Don't get me wrong. This is kind of one of the highlights of our week when we get to sit down and talk to each other and talk some sports and talk to some guests like Mike Wilner, who's coming up blue Jay banter, a former radio host for the Toronto blue Jays now with the Toronto star and got his podcast deep left field. Make sure you check that out as well. So we'll be talking to Mike in a couple seconds, but yeah, it's just been so, so, so busy. It's been incredibly busy, but you know what? It uh, uh, We get stuff done and you know what we do have that is uh, kind of getting planned. And we talked about it a little bit on the radio show. Can't remember if we talked about it on the podcast last week, but obviously with November just around the corner, we've already started preparations for our annual Movember live show. And since we're doing it for a second straight year, it officially makes it an annual thing. So now we can actually say that it's the annual November live show. Uh, so we started doing some preparations for that. We've already got a handful of guests already, uh, you know, uh, books scheduled for who we're going to talk to. And I think you guys are going to like some of them. We won't say it just yet, but I think you guys are going to like who we have coming on the November live show this year. No, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, it was, it's going to be really hard to top some of the guests we had last year because I mean, that was a lot of fun. And I think that was where we decided that like, Hey, this could be, this could be something for us. Um, Cause it was a lot of fun. We had a lot of support and we raised a lot of money and 
I, I this is going to sound like just way too sappy and ridiculous for how small we actually are in general, but I think if you have a platform and I've actually talked about this with, with Mr. Wilmer Wilner, but I feel like if you have a platform, then you need to do something to use it for good. Right. And obviously Movember uh, men's mental health, men's cancer, prostate cancer, you know, it all rings true to a bunch of us. Everyone's been affected by one of those things here or there. And um, yeah, the, the fact that we can, try and bring a little bit just a little bit of money it's not huge but a little bit of money to support some cause and have a lot of fun talk to some really fun people on top of that and maybe bring some joy to some people struggling through things i mean it makes me happy i'm excited and what, what do we decide november 27th i think it's gonna yeah. be the show 27th so or 28th whatever the make last sure you mark saturday. it off on your calendar yeah last saturday in november will be the live show we'll go live here from the uh, uh newly renovated smitty mini show studios a little bit of a different look than last year so um, that'll be exciting, and hopefully it's going to be, uh, you know, an hour, hour and a half of fun, uh, great interviews. We'll talk. We get to put on the suits, so you know what? We always like to put on the suits, uh, men in suits talking, always fun. So, yeah, uh, mark that on your calendars. The last Saturday in November will be the Smitty Mini Show annual live show, and we're going to uh, try to break our fundraising goal from last year, which was uh, a little bit over $1,000. We'll go track back, find whatever that total was, because uh, we're going to try to break that this year, and it's going to be an exciting month. And if we do, like last year, we pledged if we got over $1,000, we would go get our mustache tattoos. And I think we have a book now. We're going to go get it done. We're going to uh, have, see if we can take a camera. I don't know if, I feel like it's against some kind of patient. Pretty sure it's definitely allowed. No, I'm pretty sure it's definitely allowed. I, I have no idea. I just, there's a feeling, I feel like you can't do it. But hopefully we can. We're going to bring a camera in and we'll have a little video so you guys can see me whining like a baby. Like I have a tattoo that it's like right on my wrist, but when, they got to like the middle. It's my grandma's name. When they got to the M in Medzanki, he was like, this is really going to hurt because it's right in the middle of my wrist. He's like, this is going to hurt. And as soon as he did it, my hand just like closed. And like, I, I'm a baby. And that's one of the easy spots to do it. I'm going to do the same thing on the other side, basically. My plan is to do like mustaches. And then, you know how when you get to five, it goes like a cross. Like when you're when mm, you like stick a tally. Counting. Exactly. Yeah. So my plan on doing mustache tallies across my wrist for as long as we can do this. That's my plan. That works. That works. I don't even I haven't even decided what I'm going to do for mine yet. But uh, hey, we got some time to figure that out. Uh, hey, why don't we get into the show today? And uh, a lot of Blue Jays talk coming up in the next half hour or so because we have the former radio voice of the Toronto Blue Jays now writing with the Toronto Star. It is Mike Wilner and Mike. Uh, pleasure to have you on once again joining the show. Thank you for joining us. Uh, good to see you, Mike. Thank you. Thanks for uh, thanks for asking me back. Uh, complex questions uh, right off the bat pitching fielding hitting and coaching which is the blue jays strength and which was their biggest weakness this year i mean at the beginning of the year i would say it was pitching and fielding as the year progressed uh it got to the point where there really was no weakness and and it can be you know attested to by the fact that they were 40 and 23 or something after they moved back to Toronto at the end of July. Um, so, you know, rare is the team that is clicking on all cylinders for an extended period of time the way they did. Um, but the, the roster that finished the season was, I mean, arguably the best starting rotation in the league, uh, the best offense in the league, a surprisingly locked down bullpen towards the end. So there really aren't a lot of nits to pick with the last two months. The first four, a little bit of a different story. And my, you know, the, the, the issue may be that it took them a little too long to get things fixed up. They gave some guys uh, more rope than they deserved, mostly in the bullpen. But no, I, I think that, uh, the the way they finished was was really really good in in every facet of the game. Now we hear and and I've heard some people mostly south of the border say that um, the Jays playing in three different ballparks as a home ballpark this year didn't play as big of a role as some of us are making it out to be. Do you think that's the case? Because I really do believe that if the Jays played in Toronto all season, that this season would have gone a different way than than what it did. Yeah, probably would have, right? I mean, it was it was very difficult on them, and, and I don't know how that can be minimized. And, and what um, what stands out to me about it 
is that, you know, for the most part, the only person talking about the three different homes over the course of the season was Charlie Montoya and the opposition when opposing, you know, talking to Brandon Hyde, talking to um, Aaron Boone and Kevin Cash, Rocco Baldelli, they, they all, all these opposing managers pointed out how difficult it was for the Blue Jays to, to deal with that. Um, and then after the last game, we had a major media availability with like six different players, um, Springer and Semyon and Bichette and Vlad and uh, Ryu and Romano and lots of guys. And every one of them brought it up. They didn't want to say anything during the season. They didn't want the distraction. They didn't want it to become a story. They didn't want to be seen as whiners or whatever. Season was over. Everybody said how much of a pain it was and, and how difficult it was. And, you know, Bo Bichette said something about um, how playing in front of a home, playing what's supposed to be a home game, in front of a crowd that's booing you makes what would just be an ordinary May loss suck that much more. Um, so, yeah, I do think not only was it the three different home ballparks, um, not knowing how long they were going to stay at each one, but the fact that they didn't play a real home game until July 30th. Uh, that's, you know, to, to start a season on a four month road trip, I, it's, it's an incredible amount of stress and discomfort and all, all kinds of things. No one's ever had to go through it before. Yeah. I mean, you just look at their, look at their, uh, their wins and losses after coming back to the Rogers center. It was, it was astronomical, the difference between being on the road and two different ballparks and two ballparks that you know, I, I, I heard Pete Walker talk about their band boxes, like their pitchers, their stats were not good at the start of the year, but that's because of partly where they were playing and they weren't pitching great, but they were also in ballparks where the ball just, it flew. Yeah. But you know what, Roger sent is a bit of a band box too. And, and there are other teams, there are teams that play in uh, joke stadiums, like, you know, the Yankees, for example, uh, with that short left field, the Red Sox with the wall, you deal with what you deal with, but um Definitely, you know, and both teams are playing there, right? So the Blue Jays took advantage of the uh, offensive environment, especially in Dunedin, um, just as much as their opponents did. But the difference was, yeah, the record for sure. But a lot of that had to deal with the had to do with the fact that there was no more Tyler Chatwood and Rafael Dolis and Travis Bergen and and Joel Piamps and very little Anthony Castro and. All of a sudden you, you had, you know, Alec Manoa came along in May and Jose Barrios came along at the end of July. And um, the, the pitching staff was vastly different and much, much better in that last third of the season than it was in the first two thirds as well. Now, last year we did the same thing when we had people on after the season and we asked them to grade the Blue Jays season. Uh, with a grade a b c d whatever it may be and it's tough to ask this year because with everything that went on that we just talked about playing in different homes having to deal with still a covid season even though it looked like we moved out of it a little bit what would be your grade for the blue jays this season with everything taken into account i mean it's a good question and i think i would probably give them a b plus can't give them an A if you don't make the playoffs, even though had they been playing in any other division in, in the game, they would have made the playoffs. Um, they were the, easily like the best fourth place team in the league and the only one that was above 500. Um, and they won 91 games in, in, in a season in which, um, yeah, they were dealing with the three different home stadiums and in a division where four teams won at least 91 games, which is something that's never happened before. So they, you know, the fact that they played 54 games against the Rays, Red Sox, and Yankees, um, and still won 91 is an incredible testament to what a good team this was. They're, they're going to have the Cy Young Award winner. They're, they have a guy who, um, you know, 
in a universe that doesn't contain Shohei Otani is absolutely the most valuable player. If Alec Manoa had gotten five more starts, he's probably the rookie of the year. It was, you know, their middle infielders hit 74 home runs and, and they had four players drive in 100 runs or more. Jordan Romano led the league in win probability at it. There were a lot of really, really, really good things that happened with this team. And um, the only thing that didn't was that they missed a chance at the playoffs by one game over 162. It's it's very difficult. uh, And the season ended really abruptly. Um, And no, they didn't accomplish their goal. And they, they, they didn't do enough to make the playoffs, but they did everything but. So I'll give them the highest mark you can without getting into the A's. On a side note, I think Vladdy is still the MVP, but I don't want to have that conversation. I've done it a hundred times already on the show. So whether he is or isn't, he's not going to win. Yeah, I know. I don't want to go that deep into that again. It, it just ends up frustrating me. Um, so I, I'm sorry that you're frustrated. I'll just tell you quickly. Shohei Otani was a top five hitter and a top five pitcher in the major leagues. So there's no chance in the American league. There's no chance he's not going to win the MVP. I agree that. There's an incredible amount of historical significance to what Guerrero did at 22, uh, almost winning the triple crown and leading the league in every conceivable offensive category and playing a new position and doing it very, very well defensively. But, and and I've debated too, is it most valuable player or most historical achievement? Um, If, if, uh, if Otani had been just average as either a hitter or a pitcher, then Vlad would have had a case, but, I mean, top five in both is just silly. It's it's just to me when you don't throw enough innings to qualify for ER races, and you hit you know just over two fifty, and the last part of your season's not great, and like you're not performing in September. A nine eighty OPS. There, there were definitely stats that stuck out, and I'm not saying it's not amazing. The home run. I I think it is something to look at and be amazed by what's happening because of how hard it would be to pitch and play every single game. Uh, It's just I think we can look at it and say, hey that was an amazing season, but he didn't have the most impact on, on the teams. He didn't have the best season uh, out of anyone As I just think we can look at him at differently. And I'm not even saying that it, it should be Vladdy. I think there's other people that should get votes in consideration too. I just don't think it should be a runaway for, we should be able to have that conversation that it's a lot closer than maybe the writers make it out to be. I don't think it is though. And as much as I would love to have, Vladimir Guerrero win it. I really don't think it is. Yes, he didn't pitch enough innings to qualify, but you know, closers have won MVPs before. Dennis Eckersley won an MVP with half as many innings as Otani made 23 starts. I mean, that's really significant for a guy who also is your everyday DH and you know, playing 155 games. And I know he only hit 250, but yeah, his OPS was 965, he which is top five in the league. So you can't really look at batting average and, and say that he didn't have a good offensive season because he didn't have a great batting average when he was top five in the league in OPS and hit 46 home runs and drove in 100 runs. And it's, it's an interesting um, debate, like what you said about um, whether he was the best player or whether he contributed the most to his team. Because um, then you get into the whole is it MVP or is it, are you the most valuable player or do you just, are you the player with the most valuable teammates? Um, you know, it's not his fault that his team wasn't good enough uh, to, to be in a race. Um, I just, I, I don't think that anything, uh, you know, that you can d- diminish the achievement of what he did by, you know, so he only pitched 130 innings. It's that's significant. And it's significant that whether he had 250 or not, again, the, the 46 homers, the on-base percentage was 372, which is ridiculous. Uh, 592 slugging percentage is, it's, it's really, 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 really good. No, I agree. It's just Vladdy had better stats than all of those. <laughs> that's about it. That's, 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 that's but the he didn't pitch 130 innings. Yeah. I get that. I, and I yeah. understand that. And I know why it's amazing. It's just, it, it, it puts me in, in this tumbling thought of, is he gun like, if he stays healthy, is it just a consistent MVP? And I know that's a terrible um point to be made but it's there like at what point what is the era what is the pitches what how many 
times does he have to strike out of the plate? What's the home run limit where he's not going to win the MVP each year? If he hits 40 home runs each year, bats 250 and throws 130 innings, but he has a 450 ERA, are we still considering him the MVP? Like that's probably it's just, not. I it's think just. I- it yeah. seems like it's this year, but if it if it was next year, then it would be Vladdy by a runaway. I just it feels like it's because it's that unicorn they talk about that it's going to be Shohei. Now I think that if if if, if Otani can be consistently top ten in pitching and top ten in in offense, then he's going to win it every year. But I think it's really hard to do too, right? It, it's really hard to be that. This may be his best year on both ends, um, and he's had trouble staying healthy before. Too, but yeah, I've I've had that thought too. But also remember, you know, it happened in basketball with LeBron James, and it happened in baseball with Barry Bonds. Uh, voters get sick of picking the same guy every year. So at some point, even if Otani continues to dominate on both ends like he is, at some point there will be a window for somebody else. Okay, now that we've got that out of the way, <laughs> um, the the original question I was going to get to, I. I feel like you've probably been asked a hundred times, is it Simeon or is it Ray? Who are you going after? And I'm just going to give you my opinion and then we'll go from there. I don't think they need to sign either. I don't want them to overpay for either. If they can get either of them at a good two team deal, then yes. But I think it's way more important to sign Barrios to an extension. How do you feel about that? I think you can do all three. I really do. I think that, um, you know, it, it, it sells a lot of papers and it gets a lot of clicks and whatever to say, Ooh, who would you bring back Semyon or Ray when the reality is they could easily bring back both of them. And honestly, I don't care whether it's a team friendly deal or not. It's not my money and there's no salary cap. Although things may change this year with a collective bargaining agreement uh, due in December, but I don't think it's going to get to the extent where there's going to be an actual salary cap. Um, I think there's a chance that Robbie Ray has unlocked something. Um, and it, if, you know, if you look at the parallels to Randy Johnson's career, they're eerie. Like Randy Johnson was a guy who came up with the Expos, could not throw strikes. They traded him, could not throw strikes, had trouble uh, with the walks, was an all-star at the age of 26. And then for the next two years, went back to walking people again. And then in his age 29 season, finished second in Cy Young voting. Robbie Ray is a guy who has always walked people and um, has always fought that. Had an all-star season at the age of 26. Led the major leagues in walk rate the next two years. He's going to win the Cy Young in his age 29 season. Lefties get it a little bit later. um, And it's quite possible that this is the new baseline for performance for Robbie Ray. It's quite possible that it's not. And he winds up going back to being a a better than average, but can't throw strikes guy, but it's possible that a corner has been turned with Marcus Simeon. I really don't know. I mean, he's only been an above average major league hitter in two seasons in his career, this one and, and 2019 but they're the two most recent full seasons of his career. And he's been spectacular. Um, I think he liked second base and I think he liked not being the focal point of the offense. And I I think it's difficult to uh, not want to be surrounded by the, the amount of talent that the blue Jays have. So I think they could, they could bring him back. Now it's quite possible that both of them actually want to play somewhere else. It's quite possible that, some team makes a stupid offer to each one that just doesn't make any sense. And the Jays let them both go. Um, although again, I, I don't like that phrasing. It's up. It's completely up to them where they, where they sign. Um, and I, but I do think Barrios is going to sign an extension. I think that um, the blue Jays will make it worth his while that pitchers, um, you know, break very easily. So the idea of having long-term security is very attractive to them even going into their free agent year. Um, but yeah, I think you can get all three. And I do think it's very important to, to try to lock Barrios up because he's young and he's really good. And he, he certainly took to, uh, to this team very, very well. We heard in the later portion of the season about uh, those two guys in, in particular, Ray and, and, and Simeon, about how they might be on their way out if they get the right deal. And then we heard about Simeon maybe wanting to go somewhere where he can play shortstop after the media availability at the end of the season. And we got to hear from some of those guys. 
I think I kind of changed my opinion and, and how I viewed that. And I think both those guys might sense that the Jays have something brewing here. They sense that maybe there's some unfinished business after this season. Uh, would you agree with that? Would you say that most of these guys might want to be back in a Blue Jays uniform next year? I think all things being equal, yeah. But again, there's a possibility that somebody just blows them out of the water money-wise. Um, and good for them uh, if they want to take if they want to go for every last dollar, I, you know, no problem with that at all. Uh, but I do feel like they felt like there was unfinished business. I do feel that they both really enjoyed it once they got to Toronto and enjoyed the group regardless, but enjoyed the experience a lot more once they got to Toronto. Um, and, and why not come back with a chip on your shoulder, trying to show everybody that you're a lot better now and, and that this is, your level of performance. I, I believe that this was probably the baseline for expectations for the Blue Jays uh, for the next five years. Like this should be, they should do at least this well for the next five years. Um, so why not? Why not bring the whole gang back together? I know Vladimir Guerrero Jr. told me he wants to play with this exact group for his entire career, which is very nice. Uh, but not the way it works. But uh, but it felt like there was that sense. And the the Blue Jays really, really took to Simeon for sure. Bo Bichette almost teared up when he was talking about the the impact that he had on him. And, um, you know, it, it felt like they're only going to show us what they want to show us. Um, and since we can't go into the clubhouse anymore, it's even more difficult to get a read on what's real and what's for the media in the zoom room, but it really did look like everybody really enjoyed themselves. So yeah, why not? All right. This will probably be our last question and it's uh, going to involve Loris Goriel and Nate Pearson. I think bef- about halfway into the season, uh, I would have been okay with shipping both of them off, but I think the last half of the year really turned a lot of people's mindset around on those two. Uh, Jose Ramirez trade has been floated out quite often. Uh, third base, obviously, an opening for this team, even though I did love Santiago Espinal. Um, would you be okay with either of those two guys, or maybe even both if you had to, being in a deal for Ramirez? That's a, that's a good question. I mean, you're getting two years of Jose Ramirez, right? That's This is what you're dealing At a very for. friendly deal. It, uh, I mean, for me, again, not my money, right? And, and, there's, <laughs> and there's no cap, so they can spend whatever they want to spend. Um, but you're right. It is a very friendly deal. Two years left, 24 million bucks total, which is tremendous. Um, if Nate Pearson is only going to wind up being a reliever, then I got no problem with that. I'll trade any reliever for an everyday player uh, who's an all-star, um, especially one who's under 30 and an all-star. Uh, and a switch hitter. Yeah. Guriel, I mean what he did in the second half of the season, right? He's, he's always been streaky and it's been frustrating and infuriating and everything. But what he did in the second half of the season, there's, there's reason to believe it might be real, right? Cause in the first half he was terrible, but in the first half it was, I believe from, from memory, I think he walked 12 times and struck out 63 times in the first half. In the second half, when he had an incredible second half, he walked 20 times and struck out 39. So if he figured something out and his approach improved and he's not going to swing at bad pitches as often and not going to get himself out as much, then all you're gaining by trading Guriel for Jose Ramirez is a switch hitter. Because it's quite possible that from this point on, they're very, very, very similar hitters. Um, so I don't know. I kind of want to figure out if what Guriel did is real or not. And I, I want to keep him around. I, I, I'm very excited about the possibility of being able to acquire a guy like Jose Ramirez. I would rather they just sign Corey Seager and not pay in talent, just pay with a second-round draft pick or whatever the 
comp is going to be in the new collective bargaining agreement. So for me, it's spend money first, make a trade second. But again, before this new collective agreement comes out, and they may not be able to hammer anything out till the end of March, for all we know. It's no big time free agents are going to sign, but trades will still be made. So maybe that's the deal. You do sort of an end around around the waiting on the CBA talks and you try to trade for Ramirez. Um, but uh, Pearson and Guriel, I, I would not do for two years of Jose Ramirez. Tyler mentioned uh, Santiago Espinal in there and I saw you make a little bit of a, a shrug. You didn't, He's lovely. He, he was lovely. <laughs> He's lovely. He had 311 this year. I don't think he's right. a third baseman. I think if, if you lose Simeon, he's your second baseman. I'm very happy with him being there. I don't think he's a, a major league third baseman, everyday third baseman. I would. I I think that this is the best year that Santiago Espinal is ever going to have offensively. But if he and Kevin Biggio carry the load at second, if Marcus Simeon doesn't come back, I don't have a problem. Well said. All right, Mike, that's all we got time for today. Uh, thank you for joining us. Once again, pleasure to have you on the show and uh, talking Jays. And thank you and uh, have a good off season. We'll see you in March. All right. Thank you guys for having me. And don't forget the podcast will continue throughout uh, the off season. So uh, everybody who's listening to this also listen to deep left field. <laughs> We're always going to plug it at the end of the show. So uh, once again, deep left field. Thanks, Mike. Uh, have all a good right. one. Thanks guys. I'm Dave Middleton, a proud Sun Life Financial Advisor, and I've got some fantastic ideas for the money that's building up in your bank account due to COVID-19. Make more and protect more. Visit sunlife.ca slash dave.middleton. Goldline Curling is proud to support the Port Elgin Chrysler 2022 Ontario Tankard in Saugeen Shores. Powered by Bruce Power, February 9th through 13th at the Plex in Port Elgin. Goldline Curling, the choice of champions. This is the Smitty and Mitty Show. It's the Smitty and Mitty Show podcast. Welcome back from the break. Big thank you to Mike Wilner for joining us. Uh, talk about Blue Jays, kind of recap the 2021 season. Um, we did it in 2020. We talked to a few Blue Jays guys. I think it was Ben Nicholson-Smith and Shai Davidi. Was that who we had on? Yeah, and we, we did asked, the double show. And we asked them, you know, about what happened with the season, how they felt the season went. We asked them to give us a ranking on the year, um, you know, you know, give the season a grade. And then we asked Mike to do the same this year. And uh, were you kind of expecting that answer from Mike? I think he gave them, what, a B plus? I Or was it an A? A minus. No, he couldn't give him an A. I don't. He said he couldn't I, give him an A because they didn't make the playoffs. Yeah. Um, the, one of the reasons I love Mr. Mike Wilner, and I hope we get to talk to him many times in the future because he's a very insightful man, did the job for a long time, uh, but he also doesn't hold punches, right? Like he he tells you what what he thinks, um, and he's kind of like a he's a glass half empty guy when it comes to the Blue Jays. I think sometimes, which is fine. I mean, to be a skeptic. And it's not like he doesn't enjoy the team or anything like that. I just think he's a bit of a skeptic sometimes. I think a 91 win team that makes that is, has the eighth best record out of the whole major leagues in a sport where 10 teams make the playoffs and uh, is in a division with four 90 win teams. One that won a hundred. I just think you can't, like it needs to be an A. Like what I don't know what else they really could have done. I mean, they could have won ninety two or ninety three, obviously to make the playoffs. But to, like to go from two years ago, they were an, a ninety one loss team or whatever it was, and now they were a ninety one win team. Like I, you can't fault them. It's still a rebuilding year, right? So I think he was a bit low, but I expected it from Wilner. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that. Being a glass half empty kind of guy or a skeptic, as you said. You need those. You can't have everyone being, oh, the Blue Jays were so good. The Blue Jays were so good. Ah, oh, we were we were just so close. You need some people to kind of bring you back down the earth sometimes, right? Like you need that healthy medium of, of people on either sides of it. So and I think that's why everyone and not just us appreciates Mike because he's honest, right? He'll tell you how it is. He wants to see the Blue Jays succeed, no doubt, but he also is going to tell you how it is. And if the Blue Jays did something wrong in his eyes, he'll let you know, right? And he'll let you know and he'll battle you on that. Yeah. Uh, let's stick on baseball. 
playoffs happening and we haven't talked since one of the biggest controversies I can remember this year. I would say this year for sure. Uh, game five of the LA and San Francisco series ends on a check swing. Um, do you have any problem with it? Cause I have an opinion that I don't think is going to be popular with the fans. I think you might have an okay, that you'll be okay with my opinion because you are an umpire and you understand what I'm saying. But what was your first impression watching the video? Uh, first impression is first of all, the media will feed you one angle of the check swing, right? They'll feed you the picture that what uh, goes with whatever storyline they're trying to go with, which is in this case that um, the Giants got robbed. And, and it's the dugout they, angle, right? That no yeah, umpire on the field gets that no umpire on the field has. The check swing is a umpire's discretion call. It always has been, and it will always be one of those things. It's never going to be a reviewable play. And the reality is the check swing doesn't really have a hard line where it's a swing and it's not. It's up to the umpire's discretion. So to say they got screwed on that call, it would have to be blatantly obviously that he didn't or blatantly obviously that he did for you to have an argument on that the umpire made the wrong call. And that one is so close. It was so on the line that I don't know how you can argue that the umpire made the wrong call. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of, it's trickery. Cause like you said, we get the only angle we get to see is the dugout angle that, I mean, it depends what your definition is because there is no major league definition, right? Everyone tends to think it's if the barrel crosses the front of the plate and obviously the barrel did not get across the front of the plate on that play. Uh, but the first time I saw it from like the plate angle, my first instinct was, yeah, he went. And you know why? It's because I could see the whole barrel. To me, if you can get the whole barrel in sight of the first base umpire, then I feel like you've gone. And he collapsed his back leg. His hips were gone. Um, the only thing that didn't get across was the barrel. His hands were across. Like I just, it's, it's if you made an attempt at the ball. And I think, I don't know if I would have made the same call if I was at first base. And I think he said the same thing that he didn't uh, really love the call. Cause he did talk to a reporter after, but uh, I don't think, I think the problem here is the MLB maybe needs to just um, fix the rule and make, not even fix the rule, just put a, a dead fast rule in place if they are really concerned about it. But I mean, but how do you though? Like, how do you put a dead fast rule on that? I think you have to say if the barrel crosses the front of the plate. But it but changes the, depending if you're standing at the front of the box compared to the back of the box. If you stand at the back of the box, you have yourself another foot to swing. And, you know, some umpire, well, most guys will stand at the back of the box. Not many major league players stand at the front. But No, but like you understand I think what it's I'm also saying. You some put guys, rule in place. I think some guys look at it as if your wrist breaks, then that's. But, I mean, like I heard former umpire um, on, on the radio talking about it and um, – Dale Scott, I believe it was. And he said, it's, it's such a quick play that you don't even have time to react. Right. It's like, it's, it's literally a reaction call. You see the umpire come out and point down to first and you got to make your call. You don't have a second to think about it. You have no review. You're making your call and you're moving on. And I don't want to see that reviewed. Like, I don't, I don't need that reviewed. No, it, it, it's, it, it, it honestly bothers me. And you said me as an umpire before, and I literally just do like local ball, but it bothers me that we're sitting here having this conversation because the call was made and it's not a call that's going to change. And it's a discretion call. So and, why are we sitting here days later? It is the later? right call. It it's is the, the right call. And why are we Good. sitting here days later having the conversation or why were people in the media having the conversation about how do we fix this? How do you don't fix it? You don't need to fix it. That's just part of the game. And it it's not even the most egregious part of the game. Like, I think I, I hear, and I don't want to, uh, like, dig on him, but Kevin Barker is saying, I heard him say that the umpires need to be held to the same standards as the players, and they're when they're wrong, they should be sent down to the minors. Okay, players are wrong very often. Very, 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 very often. They swing at it. Uh, O2 slider and they pop out like that's the wrong thing to do they don't get sent down right away like it's not mm -hmm. you are going to have make a some throwing calls. error on the infield you're not down in AAA the next day exactly you are allowed to make errors and the thing is that first base umpire made probably 35 correct calls that game if it's fair foul ball if it's plays it first if it's pop outs or foul outs if it's he made a lot of correct calls 
and you maybe found something that was an incorrect call, but I, again, that is judgment call. And you, you harp on them. Like I saw a scorecard for the umpire. Um, I, I wish I remember who it was from the plate and uh, in last night's Dodgers game. Um, and he had a 98% accuracy and 99 or 98% correct. Sorry, 98% accuracy, right? And uh, 99 consistency. Like, I think he missed three calls or three balls or something like that in the whole game. Like, we need – I just – you need to to understand that when it goes right, you, you need to – because all we see is when it goes wrong, right? That's all we see. Well, and that's the thing, and I know this is – and last point on this before we move on, but I know the umpires are always getting, you know, uh, criticized, and like you said, they're, they're being held to the um, same level, and they are. But you got to keep in mind, let's use the home plate umpire for example. Nobody else in the game is more involved than the home plate umpire. Nobody else in the game has to make as many decisions as the home plate umpire does. The home plate umpire in an average baseball game has to make over 300 different decisions that could impact the game, right? He's making a decision on every single pitch that is thrown. Uh, you take away a few of them that are batted balls, of course, but uh, like no one else is involved as he is. So to say that he can't make any mistakes, it's impossible. Yeah. You just need to find a level that you're okay in mistake making. And we've talked about this a hundred times before. I I don't want to see robot umpires because I like it when pitchers work umpires off the plate. When you get screwed by a call and the whole crowd goes, oh, boo. I mean, that's part of the game. You're taking out emotion, a little bit of emotion from the game. It's it, Sometimes we're too quick to fix things. Um we're too reactionary rather than, you know, taking a deep breath. Let's get through the, these winter meetings or whatever. And, and, uh, and then make a decision if it's something that needs to be fixed. And I just, I, I, th- I think like with that ball that went off of, was it Verdugo um, off the wall, off of him out of play and they call it a ground rule double and everyone's up in arms saying he should have scored because the play, it was an intentional or whatever they were. And then, um, the crew chief comes out after the game, steps in front of the media, which doesn't happen very often, cites the rule, says why they got it right, and everyone's like, oh, okay. So, like, sometimes we react. Like, those are two plays in these playoffs where technically the umpires got it right because they are the best at this job. They are the very best at what they do. And we're losing Joe West this year, so they'll get a little bit better. <laughs> a good way to end the umpire point, eh? <laughs> Cowboy Joe going to the wayside. It's about time, you, though. Hey, it's about time. Well, he's seventy-five years old or something like that. Like, what are we yeah. doing? They do. I do think that the uh, that the major major league baseball needs to have a cutoff date for their umpires, though. I get it that some of these guys are good, but Joe West probably needed to retire ten years ago. Well, right? it's like, not that it, they they see it as the more veteran you are, the more you know the rules, the more you've seen. Because baseball is something where you see something new every day. Like it, it it's always going to happen. So the better chance you've seen something, the better. But that's okay. So if you want Joe West at 75 years old to be out there, put him at first base. It's really hard to screw up there. Put him at third base. It's really hard to screw up there. Don't put him behind the plate. It's like that's a, your eyes go when you get older. It happens. And I mean, they're they're still amazing at what they do. But but like, why? Why not have a 35 year old doing the plate rather than a yeah. 75 year old? A 45 year old, even right? You want the experience? Someone that's 50. Someone that's 50 is 25 years younger than Joe West. It is the hardest job if you are an official to try and get into is major league umpiring because people just don't retire. They do the job forever because they're allowed to like, can you imagine seeing a, even a 60 year old NHL official trying to skate out there? It would be impossible. Yeah, not nearly as physically taxing on the ball field. Uh, let's talk about the NHL quickly before we end off the show here this week, because obviously the NHL getting back in action over the last week, regular season hockey is back. Is there any surprises for you to start the season? Uh, Seattle Kraken getting their first win over Nashville. Weird to see Seattle in the NHL. Is it weird to see Seattle and Las Vegas. Think about five, six years ago. Is it weird to see these two teams in the NHL? I saw a video of the first um, Kraken fan getting in a fight. That was that's, that's when you're officially in the league. When you when you officially have one of your fans fighting a Nashville Predator fan, then yeah, you are. Congratulations, you are now part of the NHL in enemy territory in Bridgestone Arena. Getting into it, and they're always in the upper deck, eh? Always in the top bowl. 100%. That's where the fights happen. 
and it's always one guy the aggressor like you just I don't, those those i don't understand why at a game you would get in a fight i don't know like i i don't get it i i there's people who are obnoxious obnoxious and are looking for a fight and like just tell them to go away like as soon as you throw a punch now you're going to jail like i don't get it and you're probably banned for the arena that was too many wobbly it. pops yeah that's the thing man those arenas don't take it lightly you are gone for no. a while like you might not be allowed back ever if you get in a fight in an arena or at a stadium or whatever. Yeah. It's like those idiots who decide they want to run on the field and streak or just try and run in the field and get people to cheer at them. They get a lifetime ban from those fields and it's it's upwards of like an $80,000 fine. Oh yeah, if you go I think if you if you streak in a major league baseball stadium, the MLB bans you for life. Yeah. Is that worth it? Like do you you must hate baseball? Just for me to embarrass myself with my body in the middle of a field. I don't need that. I do that enough. Like I do that enough at home. I, I embarrass myself six out of seven days at home. And the other time it's because I change in the closet. So I, always I don't la- need that. I always laugh at the uh, the people who get like 10 feet onto the field and get tackled. I was like, you just got the same ban as someone who did like four laps. Right. And you're getting you the same ban in the same fine. Like you got to be better. If you're going to go out onto the field, man, you got to be better. You got to be better. I mean, there are some good ones for sure. You remember the guy that jumped over the glass in the NHL game and then got tackled by the linesman when he was running at the ref? <laughs> okay. That's a good one. I, could ne- I never would jump onto the ice. Because that's NHL. a viral video. Like when you have, who was it? Tucker that beat the absolute crap out of somebody in the penalty box? Over top of the glass, yeah. Yeah. Squirts the yeah. water See, out. See, that's a viral video. Like that, if you're going to do it, do it good. Be on TSN for the next 20 years. Yeah. 100 percent and then you're and then yeah you're in the memories of people forever you, do something worthwhile like there's too many people and that's the problem people get out there and um they're just like oh i'm gonna make a memory and then they get 15 feet and then they're tackled by some overweight security guard great you did so good man congrats some two amazing things in the nhl so we get back to like some actual topics real quick uh for one the ottawa senators starting the year two and one yeah, not Am bad. They've looked pretty good. Two and one without Brady Kachuk, who signed uh, right after we recorded our radio <laughs> show last week. And it I always rambled, happens that way. I rambled about how they hadn't signed him and how they probably weren't going to sign him to a long-term deal. What does he do less than 24 hours later? Signs a longer-term deal with the Ottawa Senators. Were so, you surprised that it was a long-term surprised. And if you were, was it on the player's side or the ownership side? I was surprised that Brady signed... I'm not surprised that Brady signed a long-term deal because if the money was there, he was going to sign whichever deal gave him the most money. And uh, I don't honestly think it was a bad deal for the senators to get him at, at that amount of money. It's a little bit more than probably he should be. And I don't know how high his ceiling is. I don't know if he's going to be the superstar that leads your team, uh, but I do think it's a good, I, I do think it's a good signing to lock him up for seven years. Cause I do think he can be a big part of your team. I don't know if he's going to be the guy, but I do think he'll be a big part of your team. It's just a high number for someone you're kind of banking on the fact that the salary cap will go up or that you'll have a little bit more money to spend or whatnot. But uh, overall I'm happy to sign back. I got a Kachuk Jersey in the off season. So uh, of course I'm happy that he's going to be there for uh, f- seven years or whatever. I'm probably reading too much into it. Cause I don't know the minutia of NHL contracts, but I found it interesting that you're five, six, and seven. He has a no trade clause because I feel like that to me reading into that, it could just be him wanting to control where he's going. If you, if he is going to go somewhere, but to me, that means that he doesn't trust the Ottawa center organization that he likes Ottawa. He wants to be there, which baffles me, but if he wants to stay in Ottawa, he just doesn't want the ownership to ship him out for no reason. Am I reading too much into the, the last three years there? A no trade clause. Yeah, I've never, I don't want to say I've never seen that. You don't see that very often where it's the last few Especially years. With the, I think with the young, like that's a, he's a young player in the con. You'll, I think you see it a lot more with the bigger stars. I wouldn't put him at a star level. And yeah, I mean, no that, trade clauses are it, It's 100% right? like you said, I think. And I don't think you're reading too much into that. It's so that he doesn't get screwed, I think, right? It's so that he doesn't get shipped off to somewhere he really doesn't want to be. Um, and have to deal with that for the last couple of years of his contract. It, it, it's interesting, though, because this start of the season has been weird for the Senators because we had this whole Brady not signing thing, and then he did sign. And now, all of a sudden, uh, Claude Giroux is listing Ottawa as his destination. Like, And I know he's not a superstar anymore, but like nobody ever lists Ottawa as their destination <laughs> to go to. 
like ever, man. If you're gun shy and you just want to play in front of a small crowd, maybe that's it. Like no one ever lists Ottawa <laughs> as their destination. Hey, the jerseys are nice. Maybe they're turning like, some people around with yeah, the jerseys. The new black jerseys, he's all in. Maybe he's they really in. want to skate on the canal. Maybe that's it. Maybe they're selling canal tickets now. Because I've never been to the canal. So send, so send me to Ottawa. Me. I want send to see Parliament. Ottawa. If it's because he wants to see Parliament, skip it. Because we went there a bunch of times, like when I was a kid, and it's just a building. It's like a copper roofed building. It's just it's green. You gotta that's go it. once. Have you gone up the Peace Tower though? Yes, that's the only somewhat cool part. Um, and I mean, the other, other than that, like you said, I think we it's there, but... I think it's you do it once in your life and you're good type of thing. Definitely don't go more than once. It doesn't change ever. No, it hasn't like, changed in a hundred and whatever like, years. Oh, th- this is where nothing happens. Great, I love it. Like that's cool. it. I don't know. Is that Here's what a... am I supposed to see? Right, you're better off to take the 20 minute stroll across the bridge to Quebec and get drunk at the age of 18. Is that? Well, I don't have to worry about that. I do like Montreal a lot better. We're going off topic again. <laughs> and uh, and I can hear the baby crying again, so I got to go. Oh, so, is it? That's let's wrap the end up of the show. show. Smitty Mitty Show, uh, Noah Smith, Tyler Middleton. Thank you to our uh, our amazing guest this week, Mr. Mike Wilner of the Toronto Star and podcast Deep Left Field. Check it out, please. He has an amazing podcast. He doesn't always talk sports like we do. Uh, like like we do, he doesn't talk a lot of sports. As well. I wasn't saying we talk sports all the time because we might have talked 10 minutes of sports in this whole episode. So It was sports, uh, but it was go. a lot of off-topic sports. You know, sports <laughs> lead you into do. something else. We tend to do. It was a lot about your your new nephew, which congratulate Lucas, is that Lucas, right? Lucas. Lucas. Yeah, not a bad name. He's got the same middle name as me, so that's good. What's that? My dad's Gary? name. Gary, yes. Gary. No, Noah Harry. Gary Smith. Noah Harry Smith. Harry. That's even worse. Thank you to our sponsors, Dave Middleton, Sunlight Financial Life, Brighter on the Sun. Gold Line Curling, the choice of champions, sponsor of the 2022 Ontario Tankard happening in February of 2022. So get your tickets online right now. Anything else you have to say before we sign off? Is that That's it? That's everything. See you next week, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Smitty and Mitty Show.